seated. If you uh, don't know by now, we're going to find our text in 1 John chapter 2. I hope by the time we're done, you can quote this verse by heart, or these verses, uh, 1 John 2, verse 15 through 17. Let's read it together. If you'd read it out loud with me, let's read it. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world, and everything in it, passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. I want to obey the Lord. Amen. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Somebody say amen. Now, I want to say to you in the last uh, few months, in fact, I mentioned on a Wednesday night uh, a dream the Lord had given me about the trumpet sounding and shared that with this congregation. I feel uh, compelled of the Holy Ghost. Uh, It's almost like the preacher standing on the highway uh, waving you down, uh, trying to uh, get your attention about Uh, the coming of the Lord and this world not being our home and uh, us not falling victim of distraction. Somebody say amen. And uh, us not uh, driving our stakes too deeply in this world or with the things of this world. And so in the last, this will be our sixth Wednesday night talking about this verse in 1 John chapter 2. So If there are those listening to the podcast, you may want to go back because some of those podcasts may not have the title of Not the World, but we are dealing with the subject, Love Not the World. Everybody say, Love Not the World. And tonight, if I would just title this tonight, I would entitle it Called Out. Everybody say, Called Out. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you're called out. Called out. Now, we made some major discoveries in the last six weeks. We have discovered that the world means more than just the earth uh, that is in space in the Milky Way system. Uh, We recognize that that word cosmos not only has to do with this earth, it is the orderly arrangement of the earth, the people on it, and the things of the earth. So we understand that the world or the cosmos, the very word, means that there's a structure to this world and it is up in opposition to God and will always be in opposition to God. We discovered early on that there is, if we can call it, a mind behind this orderly arrangement of the world and the Bible tells us who that mind is. It is the prince of this world. That's not Jesus, that is Satan. He is the power behind the cosmos, this world, the material earth, the people in the earth, and the things of this earth. Somebody say amen. Amen. We discovered that the things, the world and the things in the world are under the sentence of death. Because the Bible says it, we read it, they are of the earth and they are not of the Father. Everything that's not of the Father has a sentence of death on it. We looked at examples of that. We looked at politics. If politics moves away from God, if left alone, it moves away from God. Business, if left alone, moves away from God. The earth, uh, 
If left alone, the field, your yard, your flower garden, if left alone, it is going to degenerate and move away from perfection. Education, we've discovered that uh, left alone, it is humanistic and worldly. Uh, Equipment, your car, your truck, uh, your house, if left alone, it's all under the sentence of death. Are you hearing me? So I wonder why you're distracted and enamored with all these things that you have to upkeep. And you do have to upkeep. You are called to be a steward, but I don't want my house getting more attention than God in my life. I don't want my business getting more attention than God. Because we discovered that the church is different from everything else in the world because it is of the Father. It is infused with life and that life is the power of the Holy Ghost. It is a living organism. Somebody say amen. I'm glad to be a part of the church. Somebody clap your hands under the Lord if you're glad to be a part of the church. Uh, Let me say at this point, with all these things that are dying and have the sentence of death on them, uh, let me say to you, I I recognize that we all feel like we're going to be here a long time, but 70 years is not a long time. Can I get an amen? That's not very long. Whether you're 16, Brother Bill, or whether you're 70 or 80, life is going to go very fast. And if all you accumulate is stuff, it's like uh, you standing on a hill of stuff, protecting it, uh, knowing that it's going to perish, you're going to perish, your physical body is going to die, and then the Bible says you're unwise, because then whose shall these things be? Your family may fight over your stuff. They may have to sell your house and sell all the other stuff and somebody else is going to be dealing with that property or with that vehicle or mowing that grass or, and the list goes on and on. So why should I, uh, why should I allow all of my attention to be focused on worldly things when that's not where I'm laying up my treasure? Somebody say amen. So in all of that, we made some notable discoveries. And bear with me, I don't want to go back and preach that again, but it's amazing to me that some people will never miss work. You can finish the rest of it because I'm the preacher, not your boss. The boss will tell you don't miss work. You've got so many days of vacation. If you miss more than that, we're not going to pay you. And you get freaked out when you have to use one of those days that you don't get paid because you're not getting paid. But you don't get paid to come to church. Right now, there's no benefit in your pocketbook when you attend on a Wednesday night. But folks, when we come to church and worship God and pray, we are laying up treasure in heaven. That's what we're doing. So I don't know about you, but I'm not gonna treat work with more faithfulness than I do the house of God. I'm sorry, but I'm not living for this world. And I've been called of God to step to this pulpit and raise your vision above this world to a kingdom that is invisible right now, but it will not be long that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord. This world system is crumbling. I don't know if you've noticed it. Somebody say amen. Somebody say amen. And uh, this world system is failing. 
Uh, amen. I, I won't say any more about that. But I will say to you, friend, uh, I am disturbed by your constant um, uh, faithfulness and stewardship with things that are not going to matter. Yeah, I'm disturbed by it. I'm disturbed by how worldly a church can get while they think they're holy. While you're focusing on how long something is and how short something else is, there's a system that's creeping into your mind that is subtle and destroying your faithfulness. Because I can't come to church tonight because I got stuff to take care of. Let me say to you, we, I understand we don't have church every night. Everybody understand that? Oh, for the days where they had revival, you know, you said, oh, for those old days. You don't want to go back to those old days. As much as you like to talk about them, if we ask you to come more than Sunday and Wednesday, we can't get you here. So we're not going to go back and have revival Sunday to Sunday and go about six months and, and say, well, we just need the old time way. You don't want the old time way. But I will say, I think we need to understand how subtle this world can creep into us. Somebody say amen. Amen. I'm surprised at how uh, frazzled our lives are because we are carried away with making sure we're involved in a lot of stuff that's not going to matter. We also made a notable discovery that worldliness begins and ends at the cross. We discovered that I had been crucified to the world. But in that discovery, we learned something else. That the world has been crucified to me. That when I prayed through, the world died to me. Now, we like to talk about us dying to the world. No, this world's not my home. We sing that, Lord. Uh, I'm yours. I want to do your will. But we don't realize that when we got baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost, the world got crucified to us. In other words, the world is dead to us. Oh, really? We also know that Satan knows as his position as the accuser of the brethren, that has been wiped out. We came to discover that he cannot convince God not to save you. God can save you if you're willing. Satan cannot keep God from saving you. So the danger is to get you distracted. God's grace is given to every man. So what does he do? He can't change God's mind about you, but he can get you so carried away. And we found that in Revelation chapter 9 verse 1. And I want to tell you, I believe we're in that day. The Bible tells us that trumpets will sound, and there are seven of them. And Paul tells us what happens at the last one. But he tells us at the fifth trumpet, something happens. The Bible tells us in Revelation 9, and I'm not going to take time to read it. I know they're probably going to have it up here. Well, just leave it up there and scroll through it uh, at your discretion. But, but the fifth angel sounds a trumpet. Now, the church is still here. Everybody say, the church is still here. 
And there's some focus in that verse that tells you that because the Bible tells us who cannot be hurt by the sounding of this fifth trumpet and we know who those people are. So the church is still here but there, there is a star that falls and he is given a key to the bottomless pit and he opens up that bottomless pit and there is something that comes out of that pit that it has given power over to torment people. Now this torment has never been released up to that point. So this is a brand new attack by the demons of darkness. And the Bible says they are given a word not to hurt anything except people. But they are told you cannot hurt anybody that has the seal of God in their foreheads. And that seal, we discovered that seal is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So what I'm saying to you, saints of God, is that it's not okay for you to talk in tongues in 1970 and not pray through again when you come to church on Wednesday night. You need to pray through every service. You need to leave here knowing... I've got the Holy Ghost in me because that's the only thing that's going to keep you in this hour. Come on, clap your hands under the Lord. I want to tell you why I believe that. I want to tell you why I believe that. I have never seen the attack on people like I've seen right now. On marriages, on families, on people's minds, on people's attitude, people getting angry that shouldn't be getting angry. People getting upset with people that shouldn't be getting upset with people. And it it goes right back to what Sister Mangan used to say. I know it's too simplistic. I know there's got to be more to it. I I know you need eight weeks in a counselor's office to take care of it. But the Bible tells us there's an attack that is happening in our world that the only thing that's going to keep you is you prayed up with the Holy Ghost. And some of you are battling with your anger because you haven't prayed through... You're battling in your marriage not because all of a sudden uh, you've got a little change. No, you need to pray through. The devil is out to attack everybody that does not have the seal on their forehead. I don't know about you, but I came to have the seal put on me again. I came to be, oh. Come on, right now, let's just take a minute. Come on, lift up your hands and say, Lord, don't ever let me get cold. Lord, don't ever let me get cold. Amen. So, the prayer life of this church is important. I just happened to pastor here. Let me ask you something. In fact... Uh, just so you know, I've got 10 pages on my iPad. I'm on page three. I'll tell you, I'll do the Paul Harvey, Harvey sermon tonight. When I go to page four, I'll tell you, page four. That way you know when I'm getting close. I won't even have to say in closing anymore. I got 10 pages. I'm on page three. But let's, let's uh, since I've been given the responsibility of stewardship over this church. Make no mistake that you understand what my job is here. Isn't it great to have a job? Isn't it great to know what your job is? It'd be terrible to get a job at a factory and walk in, they not tell you what to do. 
Well, just find your place. Just fit in here. Just find something to do. Some of you would love that job. You'd find something to do. It'd be sitting in the break room all day. I'm doing something. No, they give you a job description. They tell you what time to be there. Here's what we want you to do. Here's how fast we want you to do it, right? Well, I have a job description. You, did you know that? Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I just want you to know my job description is not to sit in the office and just wait on you to drop by. Find that in scripture for me. Find it in scripture for me where I'm the one that's supposed to go pray for everybody in the hospital. Find that for me. Because if I'm not mistaken, that's the elder's job. What's my job? That's right. Peter said we've got a problem in the church in Acts chapter 6. We've got a problem. There's so much service that needs to be done, we can't do what we're supposed to do. And what is that? Pray and study. Wow. My job is to pray and study. Now you wonder why I'm preaching so long. Some of you are hoping I quit studying so much. So let me, let me liken it to an example in the Old Testament. An example in the Old Testament with what my job is as the pastor is to be a chamberlain. Now what that means is there's somebody fixing to get married. We got an announcement to make. Somebody's fixing to get married. There's a bunch of people in this church wanting to get married. I'm getting old enough now to cut through all that stuff and say, okay, now, before we get into all that lovey-dovey stuff, tell me now, are you going to love him when he gets fat and cantankerous and don't want to go to work? Oh, no, he's never going to get fat and cantankerous and not want to go to work. Oh, yeah? I pastor long enough to know better. I want to look at him and say, okay, now I want to, I know, I know you got all that in your eyeballs and all that stuff. Mason, take notes right now. I know you got all that in your eyeballs. He's perfect. She's perfect. But when she's mad and gives you the silent treatment for about two weeks, how's that going to go? Man, I finally got an amen out of Joyce Williams. Let it be noted. On the podcast, and I finally got an amen out of Joyce Williams for all you in Florida that know her. I just tell them right up front, I'm tired of all this foolishness. I'm sick of it, us coming and celebrating and smiling and eating your cake, and two years later, you're about to kill each other. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Pastor's getting upset. I told you last week what uh, Bishop Cornwell does, you know, right? If you don't want me to preach about it, don't come tell me. I'm teasing. You do, there is confidentiality, so I'm not going to get up here and tell names and tell the issues. But I will tell you, there's a reason we're having all these battles. It's called the bottomless pit being opened up, and anything that doesn't stay prayed through is going to get attacked. And you wonder why it's going on. Listen, folks, it's time for you to pray through. Anybody hearing what I'm saying? So back to the chamberlain. Somebody's fixing to get married. And you know who it is? It's the church. Everybody say the church. 
Think about it. You're back. Now, any wedding that happens here, the groom's up here pacing around. He's hiding back here uh, amongst the, the, all the junk. The groom and the preacher's out here in the back door behind the, by the dumpster with a bunch of cats running around our feet. And, but the bride, she gets her own chamber and all of her friends, they're sitting in there eating cookies and drinking Pepsi or whatever. Think about it. She comes down the aisle. Everybody stands up. When we walk in, they, oh, there's the preacher and the groom. She, she has to be given away. The groom, we're just glad somebody showed up to take you. Nobody gives you away. We give her away. Think about it. Her dress will be ensconced. There'll be generations of grandchildren that say, this is grandma's wedding dress. Can you get in it? Think about it, guys. What you wore has to be back by four o'clock on Saturday. You renters, and I don't keep nothing. In fact, they'd get married without you if they could, men. I'm just telling you the gospel truth. Isn't that the truth? I want to let you in on a little secret too, woman. <laughs> woman, when you're walking down the aisle, that guy's saying, don't ever change, honey. I like you just like you are. But she's going to get fat and cantankerous too. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, sounds like pastor's tired of it. Hey, I want to tell you something else. While she's coming down the aisle, she's thinking something totally different. She's not thinking, honey, stay just like you are. Oh, no. She sees a diamond in the rough. She doesn't want you to stay like you are. In fact, she's the best thing that ever happened to you. And when she gets done with you, you're going to wear different clothes and have a different hairdo and treat your family different. Oh, yeah. When I get a hold of you, we're not going to your mama's for Christmas. Oh, we won't say a thing about it until we get married. Now we're going to fight over it. I'm talking about you praying through. It's real good, Mason. Let it be duly noted that Mason, our transplant from Mississippi, likes this preaching for all you folks listening to the podcast. Somebody's getting married. And you know what, in a wedding, the groom's up here. I'm still on page three, just so you know. The groom's up here, he's waiting. They're getting her ready back there. She's got, you know, she's going to get her, her wedding dress on. She's going, you know, I don't know if anybody just kind of slops in in their work clothes. Okay, we're getting married. No, people are getting, and that's what the job of the shepherd or the chamberlain in the Old Testament was. He's getting, he was a eunuch. Anybody know what, do I need to explain what that is? No, no, he, he was a eunuch, okay? In other words, he was not to take the bride to himself. He wasn't to get enamored with her attraction and trying to make her be attracted to him. No, that wasn't his job. He, oh, His job wasn't to be the friend or the relationship or the husband of the bride. Of the, of the bride. He was to keep her attention on the bridegroom. This is not his bride, but he's to get her ready. I'm telling you, you're fixing to get married, church. The bridegroom is about to come, and I don't want you to get distracted. 
So I rise to this pulpit on another Wednesday night and tell you to turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his face and the things of this world will grow strangely dim. Your bridegroom's coming. Go ye out to meet him. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. Lord, help us. Dear Lord, I wasn't supposed to stop there. We discovered also the danger of neutral things. That in the days of Noah and Sodom, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage, buying and selling. Not one sin mentioned. They got distracted by the things of this world. Leads me to one verse. Boy, I need oxygen tonight. John chapter 8, verse 23. And he said unto them, You're from beneath. This is our focus tonight. Everybody say, Called out. You are from beneath. I am from above. You're of this world. I am not of this world. Page 4. Keep that verse up there if you would. Notice the use of the word from and of. You're from beneath, I am from above. You're of this world, I am not of this world. The word from and of comes from a Greek word that's just two letters, ek, E-K. It means out of. It implies origin, place of origin. Uh, in fact, the phrase is ek to cosmos, which means you have been called out of your place of origin. You are from this world. That your place of origin is this world. Have I got it? Your place of origin is beneath. God says my place, Jesus says my place of origin is above. He says your place of origin is this world. My place of origin is not of this world. The question is not, are you a good or bad person? Brother Gene, there's a lot of good people in this world. Absolutely. But that's not the question. The question is, what is your place of origin? We do not ask, is this thing right or is this thing wrong? But from whence or from where does it originate? Origin determines everything. And Jesus said, you're from beneath and I am from above. There's a problem here. We don't have the same origination point as Jesus Christ. If left to ourselves, we keep on feeding on stuff that's of this world from beneath. Before you start listening to music, you need to think about where does it originate. Before you say we need a night out to take the kids to go see a movie, you need to understand where does that originate. So when you start wondering is something wrong or something right, get past that. Because if you're not careful, you'll be a legalist. And if pastor doesn't preach against it, then I guess it's okay. Well, I don't know if you've noticed that there's so many uh, apps on your phone that are multiplying by the day and by the hour. I'd have to have church every day to preach against all of it that needs to be watchful over. I don't have that kind of time. You have to mature in your walk with God to say, what? oh my Lord. Where is this taking me? Listen, where does nakedness originate? When man and woman sinned, God gave them a sense of shame. That's not a bad thing. 
It means you need to cover yourself. There's a need in all of us to be covered. Thank God for it because without it, we wouldn't want to repent. Why do you think sinners want to hide? Because they want it covered. It's innate in us to cover. God put it there for our safety. So why does the world want to take their clothes off? Look in the New Testament. Anybody that was doing that was demon possessed. They, they were naked. Nobody could chain them. You couldn't tell them what to wear. Are you hearing me? Okay, so pastor's preaching tonight to all of you that should know better. When you start thinking, looking at the fashion catalog, you need to start thinking, where does this come from? Not, is this too short? I'm still on page four. The question is not, is this right or wrong? It's where does this originate? John three and six, look at this. For that which is born, John three and six. John 3 and 6, that which is born of the flesh is what? Flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Somebody say amen. Now let's look at John 15, 19. If you were of the world, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Now, there's a bunch of sermon right here in this verse. Do you realize the world loves their own? Okay, I, I'm not going to take the time to preach on that, but there's a whole world of message right there. The world loves their own. If you're doing what they're doing, or worse, they're okay with you. But the minute you start trying to do better, oh, they're going to they're come against that. They don't mind you having failures because they got them too. They love their own. But the minute you say, I'm coming out of that. Yeah. So here we have the same expression. If you were of the world. Everybody say of the world. The world. But we see here a greater emphasis. He says, now earlier in John chapter 8, we find where he said, you're from beneath, I'm from above. You're of this world, I'm not of this world. But here in John 15, he says, I have chosen you out of the world. Yes, we were of the world, but now he has chosen us out of the world. Now what that means is, there is a greater emphasis. We're not just of this world. He has chosen us out of. You are not only of the world, but you have been, you, I have, you are not only not of the world, but I have chosen you out. Now remember the word is ek. In other words, he's chosen you out of this world and out of me. The Greek word is ek. But what's amazing, there's also an ek out of uh, in the word out of, but it's also in the word chosen. The word chosen is ek, ek legomeo, which is another ek. In other words, there's a double out. Did you hear what I just said? Okay, the word chosen is a form of ek, which means out. And he said, I've, in other words, there's two outs in this verse. There's a double out in the life of every believer. It means God has called you for himself out of this world. Those the Lord calls, he calls you out. 
There is no such thing as a call from God that is not accompanied by an out. In other words, I don't understand this Christianity that says I can love God and still love the world. No, every call of God is a call to the devil out. You are mine and I want you out. So you're not just out of the world. You are chosen out of the world. He not only said, I want you out. He said, I want you for myself. I want to walk with you. I want to talk with you. I want to be your God and you be my people. Out of all that is in the world, out of the great mass of people in this cosmos, all whom the Lord calls. Listen, everybody he calls, he calls them out. There is no such thing as a call from God that is not a call out of this world. So I take issue with people that's going to mix their Christianity with this world to the point where they, you can't see where one begins and the other starts. Or one ends and the other starts. There, do you know what the word church is in the Greek? Ecclesia. Ecclesia, E-K, that little word I just said, out of. In other words, the, ch- the word church means called out ones. In other words, there is no ecclesia without an ek in front of it. The church, by virtue of you being the church, it represents that you're out of something. Oh, I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. <laughs> I've been called out. I've been sentenced out. I've been singled out. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord. If you are called, then you are called out. If God has called you, he's called you to live in spirit outside of this world system. Now let's look at this statement a little more closely. I'm on page five. But because you are not of this world, put that verse back up there if you would, Sister Cheyenne, thank you. Put it back, uh, what's the verse? John 15, 19. Look at this. But because you are not of the world, I have, chose, I have chosen you out of the world. As the people of God, we have two titles. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of this world, everybody say not of this world. Brother Kyle and Brother Bill, would you come up here, one stand over here, and one stand over there. I wish I had identical twins here to do this. It's not hard. Just one of you over here, one of you over there. It's a big decision. I know. You need to pray about that one. One, You want to be called out. You are called out. (laughs) I just called you out. I chose you from among all those. (laughs) Thank you for that illustration. Sermon's over. There it is. Thank you, Bill. Way to cut to the chase. (laughs) As the people of God, we have two titles. They're in this verse. They're in this verse. Look at this. If you were of the world, the world would love his own because you are not of the world. Everybody say, I'm not of the world. Everybody say, I'm not of the world. Okay, let's make Bill the not of this world. But notice in the remaining of this verse, it says, I chose you out of the world. Now, wait a minute. This verse says, I'm not of this world, but it also says he chose me out of the world. Everybody understand that? 
So we've got two titles as God's people. Both of them are out. We are not of this world. If we look at our past, our history, we are the ecclesia, which means we've been called out. So in that verse where it says, I've chosen you out of the world, it's talking about your past. Yeah, you were in the, remember John 8, he said you were in the world and, and I, I wasn't from the world. You were from beneath and I'm not from beneath. That's what we were. What we were chosen out of the world. But then he goes on to say that's not the only point. From the standpoint of us, we were called out of the world. But from the standpoint of God, he says you're no longer of this world. Even though your place of origin was from beneath, when you're born again, are you hearing me now? When you're filled with the Holy Ghost, God says your place of origination changes. Help me, Brother Rob. Push me just a little bit right now. Your place of origination changes from the world to heaven. Wow. Well, that... That freaked me out this afternoon. I see it's settling upon you in the same fashion. From the standpoint of my new life, I'm not of this world at all. I'm from above. On one hand, we're a chosen people. That's what we were, called out. But on the other hand, I'm a regenerated person, utterly unrelated to this world by the spirit that's been given to me. Heaven is not just my destiny. It's where I came from. No, no, you're not hearing me. This world is not my home because it's not my point of origination. Oh, come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. Come on. Heaven is not my destination. It's not just my destiny. It's where I came from. I've been born from above. This is why you need to take every opportunity to pray through. Because if you're not careful, you'll get your old origination point mixed up with your new one. Yeah, so leads me to a few points. I'm on page six, actually almost to page seven. Our lives are otherworldly. Everybody say otherworldly. The life we, that we have came from heaven. The scripture talks about it. We are not born from beneath any longer. Although we were born, we have birthdays. We are now born from above. And when we got the Holy Ghost, we were not born from anything in this world. It has no correspondence with this world. Now I want to say something to you. I'm not going to make any apologies for what we are as a church and who we are as a church. I believe you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. I believe that emphatically. I believe the Bible says that when you are buried with Christ, you put on Christ. I emphatically believe that if you don't put on Christ, you will not be saved. All right, let's go back to Calvary and that, oh, that, that thief on that cross. And we'd like to go there and say, well, see, you don't need the Holy Ghost. No, that was a dispensation of law. And Jesus said something very important that day. He said, today, you're gonna be with me. 
Fact of the matter, when you stand before Almighty God, you better make sure you're with Jesus. Because if you're not with him, you're not going to be saved. Because there is no other name under heaven. I'm not going to make any apologies for it. You need to be buried with Christ because that's where you put on Christ. I'm not going to argue about it. It's the word. I'm going to say something else to you. When you get the Holy Ghost, you're going to talk in tongues. The Bible calls it a heavenly language. Now, wait a minute. When you were born of this world, they kept saying, say, mama, mama, mama. And you kept saying, papa, papa. Believe it or not, one of my first words was pizza. I kid you not. I said, before I learned anything else, I learned the word pizza. Now you know what one of my favorite foods are. I've been saying that all my life. Pizza, Papa. They said, before I could say anything else, I'd say pizza, Papa. Pizza, Papa. That has nothing to do with this sermon, but. <laughs> You're an American citizen, aren't you? Yeah, we've got a language in this country, contrary to your political persuasion. I'm convinced that the moral, that the cohesive fabric of a nation is built on a language. And I understand UPC and all this starting Spanish church and this language church and that language. I understand we need to reach all nations. But I want to tell you, the cohesive factor of a nation is a language. And you say, well, I'm not sure about that. Well, tell me about the Tower of Babel then. Okay, we're not going to go any further with that because I got biblical evidence that what binds people together is a language. It's in your Bible. So anyway, let's go beyond that. So without all your political persuasion, the language is important. So when you're, you're born of this world, you're born, they're going to teach you now my southern ways. They taught me some words, yes, sir, no, sir, that you folks don't know anything about. I spoke a language that most of you have no idea what that dialect is. No, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I'll be sitting in a restaurant to this day and the little lady comes up to wait on us and I'll say, yes, ma'am. And she gets offended. Ma'am, don't call me ma'am. That's what you call old ladies. So, oh no, in the South, that's what you call every lady. Yes, ma'am. I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. In fact, I was, I was ramping up the respect. I could have just said yes. But when I say yes, I hear mom say, yes, what? You want to come to supper? Well, when I get ready for it. No, that wasn't the right answer. Yeah, yeah, what? Yes, ma'am. I learned a language. I learned, well, I shouldn't tell all the words I learned. I was born from beneath. I learned a language. When you're born from above, there's a language. There's a language. You don't learn it. It's a heavenly language. The Spirit gives you the ability. 
So, so we're not gonna argue about it. We're not, we're not gonna make an issue of it. We're just gonna believe these things are important. We're gonna celebrate them when they happen and we're gonna expect them to happen. Because we're not talking about you shaking a preacher's hand and reciting a prayer. That's not any kind of birth. Oh, anybody. That doesn't change anybody's life. You need the Holy Ghost. Somebody say amen. The life we have came from heaven and never was of this world. Though we must mingle every day with this world, the Spirit should never let us settle down and feel at home here. Because when we're born again, we are now, uh, our place of origin is different now. I'm not of this world. Am I okay? Page seven. I want you to notice we are in Christ and Christ is in us. Everybody say, I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. Say that again. I am in Christ and Christ is in me. Now, do you remember, this is very important, I hurry. It's very important. Do you remember a week or so ago, I mentioned to you and I, I, I reviewed it just a minute ago. I am crucified unto the world and the world is crucified unto me. You remember that? Two things happened when I repented. I died to the world and the world died to me. We're both dead. To one another, there is no correspondence. I'm dead to them, they're dead to me. I want you to look at your life right now and tell me if you're dead to the world and the world's dead to you. Just make the, just, just make the application in your own heart. Can you say, I'm dead to the world and the world's dead to me? Now, going on, I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. Everybody say, I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. It's the same concept. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Look at the same concept. I'm dying to the world, the world's dying to me. I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. It's in the same concept. But of him are ye in Christ. Everybody say, I'm in Christ. Who of God, now he's talking about Christ, that who there is talking about Jesus. Now it says, I am in Christ, who of God is made to us. You see that? I'm in him, and God has made him to me something. What has he made him to me? It's in there. Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. It says, I'm in Christ when I'm born again, and Christ is in me. He's made wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So God has placed me in Christ, and he's placed Christ in me. Now look at this. This is very important. I'm only going to use one of these terms. Everybody say redemption. I don't have time to preach the rest of them. But I want to say to you, you ought to have more wisdom than you have. If you are in Christ and Christ is in you wisdom, this says God made Christ wisdom for you and put it in you. You ought to have more wisdom. Brother Gene, I don't know if I should date him or not. He doesn't go to church. You ought to be smarter than that. Well, he's a good guy. Well, it has nothing to do with good or bad. Everybody okay? Y'all turn to your neighbor and tell him you ought to be smarter than that. Turn to your neighbor and tell him the guy getting you ready for the wedding ceremony thinks you ought to be smarter than that. Tell him. I know it's hard to remember all that, but surely you got enough brains to remember that. 
Okay, maybe you don't. Everybody say righteousness. Christ is made unto me righteousness. I don't have any problem with the Lord coming down and saying, Calvin, I don't think you ought to wear them pants tonight. Them's a little too tight. Don't wear them till you get lose some weight. Some people have no idea that that even needs to be done. They just think everybody else ought to enjoy their fatness. But if Christ has made righteousness to me, I think the Lord ought to say, wait a minute, that, that ain't righteous. Yeah, you ought to be smarter than that and you ought to be more righteous than that because if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, God has made him righteousness to you. Not only that, he's made him sanctification. Everybody say redemption. I'm getting to the last word. Uh, he has been given to us for redemption. Then that means that within us, God has set Jesus Christ himself as our redeemer. God has made him redemption in you. Leave that up there, Sister Shine. God has made Christ redemption unto you. Did you hear that? Christ is in you redemption. Now, does anybody know what redemption is? Yeah, redemption means to buy back. <laughs> that means you are not your own. <laughs> it, it draws its parallel from the book of Exodus when the blood was put on the doorpost and the Lord said, I'm going to redeem my people out of Egypt. <laughs> and in one night, he brought them out, didn't he? That's what redemption is. Now, this verse tells us that God has put Christ within us to be a barrier of redemption. That means we no longer put blood on the doorpost and say, I'm not of this world. No, your barrier is Jesus Christ. Wow. Now that ought to amaze you. It ought to make you less worldly than you are. If Jesus is the barrier against worldliness in me, then how heavenly minded should I be? Oh my. Oh, now, now the Holy Ghost is more than just jabber, 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 jabber. Now Christ is in you and he's made redemption for you. That means that Jesus Christ is the wall between you and the world. Man, I'm sorry that I'm on page seven. Just as the blood was to Israel, so is Jesus to me. The death angel's gonna pass over because I'm not of the land of Egypt. Jesus is made to me redemption. That means in my heart there's a barrier set up between me and the world. And that barrier's not weak and the devil can't knock it down. That barrier is none other than Jesus Christ. And because Jesus is the barrier, the world cannot touch me and the world cannot reach me. That means if the world's gonna get to me, I have to move Jesus. Everybody okay? All right. We need Jesus. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, I need Jesus. 
We struggle to detach ourselves from this world. We talk about, well, I don't want to dress like them. I don't want to watch what they watch. I don't want to talk like, and those things are all fine and good. But we need to see an end of that struggle. I don't need to do something to stay away from this world. I just need more of Jesus. It's not about, oh, I can't do this or I can't do that. Oh, no, I'm not living that way anymore. It's about Jesus in my life. Oh, somebody praise him right now. Oh, yes, I need Jesus. This world's morals are not my morals. I'm on page eight. David? David just left. Of course, he probably has somewhere to be. Probably had to check on his mom. Well, we got some more. Lorena? It's 820. Oh, bus kids. That's probably where Dave's going. All right, well. Pray all them bus kids through to the Holy Ghost. They need it. That's what it was. (laughs) I wouldn't go to a church that embarrasses people like that, would you? My goodness. I want to tell you, this world's morals are not my morals. They can get up in school and say, hey, it's okay now, everything's okay, no matter who you love, what you love, you can love anything you want to love, it's all about love. The world's morals are not my morals. I don't know why people say I'm confused. I'm not, you don't have a wall in your life if you're confused about morality. You need a wall in your life and that's called Jesus. It's not called standards or what this church believes or our doctrinal statement. I don't need to go to your class and tell the principal what you believe. You need Jesus in your life. He's the fence. He's the wall against worldliness. Oh, clap your hands unto the world, up to the Lord, not to the world. I am fundamentally at odds with this world. What I believe, they don't believe. And it's not going to get any better. Hey, wake up and smell the coffee. It's not going to get any better. Because of this, the Lord said, the world hates you. Now, I want you to understand that. Friendship with the world is enmity against God. I am not here to make friends with this world. I am to love people, but I am to stand against the morality of this world. I got a wall in me that keeps worldliness out. There's no way to make the world love me when the world meets in me human honesty, natural human decency. It appreciates that. Let me give you an explanation. Some little lady standing at the crosswalk down there by Hardy's. Or let's just say it's Jim Cripps. He's always in Hardy's. No, he's not. And since he's not, let's just say it's Jim Cripps because he's never at Hardy's. He's standing out there at Hardy's and all the traffic's whizzing by. And Jim's a little older now and he's on his cane and he's wobbling around. He's, he's got his biscuit hanging out of his pocket. And everybody that drives by says, Poor Jim. Somebody ought to help poor Jim standing out there in the heat trying to get across the street and his Hardy's bags hanging out of his pocket and he's stumbling around with his cane. 
And I pull up to the red light and it's green and everybody's whizzing by. And I pull out in the middle of the street and stop all the traffic. And I get out and I help little Jim across the street. Now there's a bunch of people that may be honking and cussing and flipping me off. But there are probably people say, well, isn't that nice? That's a nice man helping that poor Jim across the street. Somebody have a flat tire on the interstate and it's pouring down rain. <laughs> or somebody slides off the road and there's a couple old boys in a four-wheel drive and this is what they live for. Ain't no sense to have four-wheel drive if you're never going to use it. <laughs> so they back off in the ditch and get their chain and they get out there slopping around in their big old hunting boots. And no, you just stay in your car, man. We'll get you right out of here. And everybody driving by says, well, look at those nice little boys out there getting little granny out of the ditch. The world loves some human decency when they see it. But that's not why they hate us. Because we can all be nice. We can all buy groceries for people, stop and help them across the street, and change their, car, their tires in a pouring down rainstorm. But the world doesn't hate us because we're nice. No, they can love us because we're nice. But when you decide that I'm not going to live like this world and I'm going to be a citizen of another nation, as soon as the world meets that in us, which is not that, in, that thing that's in us, that's not of this world and not of ourselves. I face this in life development class. When I start talking about killing somebody and shooting somebody and godly people start looking back at me like I've lost my mind. See, the world loves you if you treat people like they do. But the minute you say, uh-uh, I'm not following this world's rules. No, you're not. I'm getting it right now. I wish I could cry too. I feel like it sometimes. The world can imitate Christian honesty, Christian courtesy, even Christian charity. The world can tolerate and even recognize and respect that in a person. But the life of Jesus in a believer, the world hates that. I said the world hates that. They're okay with you buying groceries and helping everybody across the street. But the minute Jesus comes alive in your heart. In fact, wherever this world meets Jesus, it'll definitely oppose it and try to kill it. I'm going to say that again. Where the world meets Jesus in the life of a believer, the world's going to try to kill it. It's going to try to kill your voice about holiness, about sanctity of marriage, about sexuality, about gender distinction, and the list goes on and on. When the world sees Jesus in somebody, they want to kill it just like they did when he was here. So we can we got to be careful that we don't think the world loves us because we're helping people across the street and realize that Jesus wants to be so powerful in our lives that we are at odds of this world in fact if the world could find a Balaam you remember Balaam don't you page 9 page 9 ready to promise himself for a little cash ready to bless somebody for a price 
Do you hear what I'm saying? If the world could find a Balaam to speak God's blessings on their lust and their passions, you know what the world will do for them? It'll honor them. It'll raise them up. And this is a man that blesses our passions, loves our lust, gives a benediction over our drunken parties. But the minute a man of God stands up and says, wait a minute, God's not pleased with that. The minute Elijah says, you need to figure out who you're going to serve. The minute Elijah or a Jeremiah or an Isaiah or a Stephen or a Peter or a Paul, the minute they rise up. Everybody hearing what I'm saying? You notice what happens, don't you? They're mocked, they're scourged, they're imprisoned, they're stoned, they're sawn in two, they're slain with the sword, they're nailed to a cross. They're thrown before wild beasts or compelled to seek asylum in deserts or mountains and dens or the caves and they're told, leave us alone. We're gonna do our own thing. They're destitute, Hebrew says, they're tormented and afflicted because they condemn godlessness with their lives just by the way they live and the world can't stand them. I'm preaching against worldliness. But do not be mistaken, church, when the efforts of all the centuries of worldliness have come to a crashing end and all the efforts of this world are burning up into cinders, and it will. This world is coming to a screeching halt. Make no mistake about it. There is judgment already been rendered on this world. And when it's burning to ashes, don't you ever forget that the saints of all the ages, the Bible says they'll be shining as the noonday sun. Oh, so I'm not worried about the peer pressure. I'm not worried about the numbers dwindling in my own, in the ranks of those that are believers. I'm not here to make friendship with this world. I'm here to live my life for Jesus. I'm gonna smile and love everybody while I do it, but make no mistake about it, Jesus is Lord of all in my life. Come on, let me see people in this church rise up and say, he's the Lord of my life. He's the Lord of my life. Come on, rise up. Get up on your feet. He's the Lord of my life. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord. Come on. Come on. I'm talking about loving not this world. It's not popular. It's not popular. Because people that are told they're going to be blessed in spite of their mess. People that are told they can disobey a direct order from the word of God and God's going to wink at them. They like that kind of preaching. They'll elevate that kind of person. They've got itchy ears, the Bible says. In other words, they want to hear what they want to hear. But the minute you say, wait a minute, Jesus is Lord of all. And he, he wants to be the Lord of your life and your heart and your mind and your music repertoire and what you watch on TV and at the movies. And Well, all of a sudden it gets quiet, doesn't it? There was an old man getting, he died. He died and he, they found his will and he had a big old farm and they were doing some expansion. His boys came together and they got old dad's will out and everybody, 
you know how the reading of the will is. They all pulled up a chair and the will got to talking about, first of all, dad wanted a barn, a new barn built, and he wanted it built on this spot. And he marked the spot on the property. And all the boys said, you know, that's a great idea. We ought to build a barn and that's the best spot for it. They read on and dad said, not only in the barn, but I want you to put a fence around this piece of property in certain spots and here's where I want the fence and he had it drawn out where he wanted the fence and all the boys looked at it and said, well, I don't think I could find a better place for the barn and the fence. That is a great place for the barn and the fence. In fact, there's no better place. Dad, man, look how smart dad is. Next line, next sentence. I want you to dig a well and I want you to dig it right here and he marked the spot. And all the boys looked at it and said, well now, dad knew where the barn ought to go and looks like dad knew where the fence ought to go but I'm not sure that's where the well ought to go. In fact, if I was to put a well in here, I wouldn't put it there. I'd put it over here. Let me ask you something. How many times did those boys submit to their dad? Barn's where it's supposed to go. That's awesome. Fence is where it's... How much did they... Out of those three times, how many times did they submit to their dad? Twice. That's what you think, isn't it? But I want to submit to you, they never submitted to their dad. Because submission is not an issue of what you agree with. They didn't have to submit when dad was doing what they wanted. That does not require submission. Submission is required when dad asks you to do something you don't like. Now this is not about how much you agree with God and how much you allow him to be the Lord of your life as long as you agree with it because that's not submission. Submission happens when God says don't watch that anymore. Submission happens when God says don't do that anymore. Don't dress like that anymore. See, we're not submitted to God in the things we agree with him on. Submission happens when he says something we don't like. Now you know why I said if the Lord told me to stand on my head and spit out wooden nickels, you know what I'd do tonight? No, first thing I'd do is I'd go eat a bunch of wood is what I'd do. Because I, (laughs) wooden nickels, did I say wooden nickels? No, I said, I say wooden nickels? Okay, good. Because I'd first of all go eat a bunch of wood. Because I know I don't have any wood in me. I'm going to have to eat. And I'd eat pine until I got sick of it. Because if the Lord said, I want you to spit out wood and nickels, I'd say, all right, Lord. Let me ask you something. How much is he Lord of your life? Only when you're at church. But let me remind you that while this world hates you because Jesus is the fence in your life. And you're not going to put up with that stupidity. You're going to turn over some tables if Jesus is in your life. Yeah. Don't be mistaken that when this world comes crashing down, that those that are rejoicing now, those that are partying partying now, those that are weeping now, those that are sorrowing now, make no mistake about it, that as soon as this world comes crashing down and the kingdoms of it become the kingdoms, kingdoms of our Lord, make no mistake about it, that those that are rejoicing are going to weep. And those that are weeping now 
are going to rejoice. So I, it doesn't matter. If I sorrow now, I know there's joy coming in the morning. Because my, my sorrow is going to be turned to laughter. My, my, my depression is going to be turned to joy. Somebody say amen. Page 10. How can the world possibly mix with what is from another world? Can't do it. John 17, 14, and I close. I've given, this is Jesus' prayer. Brother Kyle preached about it seven or eight weeks ago. John 17, 14. I've given them thy word, and the world hated, hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Every child of God who's born from above by the Spirit has a vital place in this world. Though saved from the evil one and his system called the cosmos, they have yet to be removed from his territory. We have not been removed from this world. We have a part to play there at this point for which we are indispensable. You heard about it last week. We are the light of the world. We have a part to play right here. And it's not to be friends with the world. It's to live for Jesus every day. And that ought to give you peace. And that ought to give you joy. You ought to be so happy living for Jesus that people want to know what you have. Right here in this place, we are called to overcome. I'm called out of this world. And I accept with joy the fact that God has placed me in the world, but I am not of it. That distinctiveness You are not of this world any longer, but I'm going to leave you in the world. That distinction is the gift from God to me that Christ is in me and the world ought to see that distinction. Somebody say amen. And that is all the safeguard I need. My gift from God is Christ in me my redemption and that's all the safety I need oh lift your hands right now and ask God to help you with your spirit with your attitude with your heart right now come on your carnal mind that's enmity against God it's at war with God and you think well nobody explained it to me so I'm just upset well your carnal mind is at war with God you need to get in the spirit because in that moment you understand that my citizenship is not of this world any longer I am not born of this world I am born from above I'm a child of God come on right now reach over and connect with somebody if you're by your wife or your husband or your